Welcome to the Great Job Podcast, where we help you design your own handbook for raising amazing kids. I'm Emily Mall, a stay-at-home mom who's been in therapy for over a decade and is returning to work now. And I'm Dan Mall, a designer, creative director, entrepreneur, and author. We've been together for over 20 years and have spent the last 12 raising our two daughters. We believe that everyone deserves a non-judgmental space to show up as themselves, share, make mistakes, and grow. On this show, we pull back the curtains on everything we've tried, tested, and thought about so you can feel supported and less alone in your parenting journey. You'll leave each episode with practices, strategies, conversation starters, and support to set your kids up for the best future possible. All right, another super exciting episode of The Great Job Podcast. This topic in particular is one that I think I'm the most excited for because I have so many different thoughts about this and I would love to hear yours. Um, I have so many things. We're going to talk today in this episode about technology, cell phones, social media, all things that are super duper important to the pivotals, this kind of six, eight to 14 year old, 15 year old, what do we say? Eight to 15 that window, like that's the time where kids are starting to get cell phones. You know, their friends have them in school. They're starting to ask their parents for them. I know our kids are, are doing that more and more often. And this is something that we don't have a lot of guidance on because our parents didn't have to deal with this. You know, like when we were growing up, iPhones weren't even out when we were growing up. And so, yes, all of that. What do you think about this topic? I know you've got a lot of thoughts about it, too. I don't think I have as many as you do. Um, because I think you're just in it way more than me as someone who works in tech and who is not only do you work in tech, but you're a designer in tech. So you really create a lot of what we see and what we're influenced by online. And because of that, I think you're just in it way more than I am. I think for me, I'm going to um, I'm going to take it back for a minute. I got my first cell phone when I was 16 because I went to a Christian boarding school and I like begged my parents for it. No one had them at the time, but I was like, it's either that guys or buy me these like prepaid phone cards. And there were like three phone booths in the dorm. And I was like, between like 200 girls, I will never call you. So that was my way of like convincing them to get me a cell phone. So I was 16. I had like a Nokia. It had snake on it. That's what I remember. And that's all we did. I remember texting you on it when we were 16. Yeah, because I also got my phone when I was 16 because I think you got yours first. And I was like, well, how are you going to call me? Like you call me at at home, I guess. (laughs) So I I had a I had an Ericsson flip phone. That was the one that I had with this really flimsy flip cover. And it just had text and it had calls and we had to pay for minutes. And I don't think I even had games on my phone at all. I think at the time. The hardest thing for parents was getting their kids to manage their minutes and the amount of text because when cell phones first came out, um, I don't know if it's still a thing even anymore because we have because we've had our phones since we were 16. We are in the like uh, legendary. It's not grandfathered anymore. That's we don't use that term. The legend on like at and I'm like, I've been with you for like 25 years. So we're, we have like unlimited stuff now. But before that was even an option. You paid per minute, you paid per text. And so, you know, when I would come home once a month for home leave, my parents would be like, so who's going to pay this? It was, that was tough. So trying to manage that, I think was hard. Yeah, that was kind of the same thing with the rotary phones too, right? Which is like, you're on the phone for so long and then it shows up on your phone bill at the end of the month. 
Uh, cause we would be on the phone forever, you know, and I guess we just don't have that problem anymore. So what, what problems do our kids have now with phones? And, you know, for just for context, our kids have flip phones. They don't have iPhones. A lot of their friends have iPhones as a 12 year old and 10 year old. Um, their friends have iPhones in school. Uh, we don't have, our kids have iPhones. They have flip phones. So comparatively, what do you think, what problems do you think kids have nowadays as opposed to the problems that we had with like managing minutes and stuff like that when we first got our phones? So our kids also have iPads and they've had iPads since they were very young, since like four, because whenever you would get to speak at conferences around the world, we would take the kids. And I was like, listen, it's just as hard to be home alone with the kids as it is to take the kids around the world with you. So I'm coming. I'm not going to stay home and I'm, I'm going to choose my hard abroad. I think that sounds way more fun. And so we got our kids iPads and we would download Disney movies for them to watch on the airplane. And that's about all they could do on them at the time. And there were like some cool games and, you know, things they could do, like apps they had that only we figured out how to download. But now they still have pretty much the same iPads and our oldest now, because her friends have cell phones, is into texting and calling. And sometimes she'll do homework with her friends, even she can FaceTime them. And so it's become her own version of a phone. Like she can still contact her friends and they all text each other and they are in it. And so I don't remember being 12 and being this that connected with my 12 year old friends. So I think there's a lot more influencing of each other happening. Um, I'm seeing that where I was like, I don't know if my parents let us tie up the phone line after school, that would be like a big deal. So I think one of the places that we can start talking about this is I think it's hard to take something away from someone once you've given it to them. And I think for a lot of parents, for us, for sure, we got our kids iPads as a way to occupy them, right? Because like we just couldn't be on top of them parenting 24 seven. So I think for a lot of parents, it's like, I just want my kid to sit in front of an iPad, like watch a movie for like an hour so I can get a break, right? Do you remember before, was it people who said it to us who didn't have kids or even before we had kids, oh, yeah. people would be like, oh my God, how do they let their kid have an iPad in a restaurant? I would never do that. And like when we hear people say that now who don't have kids, we're just looking at them like, just you wait. Just wait. Just, <laughs> just shut wait. your pretty mouth, yep. okay? Until you try to just eat a French fry in peace. And not like be bothered or whatever. Like it's it's hard enough to take little kids out to a restaurant. And so, you know, if you throw an iPad in front of them for 15 minutes, it's like sometimes the saving grace of your just mental capacity and ability to do that. And, you know, we take our kids out because we do want them to learn how to behave in public and what it's like to go out to restaurants. And we don't want to always cook at home all the time. And we want to support, you know, our community. And so this is it, the iPad is a tool. It's a good emergency tool. It's also good for parents who are like, I need to get out of the house and I need my kids to just be entertained while we do it. And I just, it's like kind of a lifesaver sometimes, but I do see how it can become more of a crutch and more of a just like, well, the babysitter. Yeah, well, well, because and I think it's worth saying that, like, we're not just talking about iPads in particular. We're talking about all sorts of media, whether that's Kindles or Kindle Fire or video games or, you know, any of those kinds of basically screens that they can be on. And I think one of the things that is tough about it is 
when you first introduce that to your kid, you want it to occupy them so that you can get a break and it occupies them, you know, when they're babies for 10 minutes at a time and you're like, it's fine. And then when they get to be toddlers and, and a little bit older than like half an hour at a time or an hour at a time. And those things are good for parents and parents see them as good. Like, oh, that's great. Like my kid can sit in for like at least for an hour and a half now and I can get some stuff done. I can clean or I can get work done or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And then at some point it flips to like, oh, my kid is now on it for two hours or three hours or four hours and they can be by themselves for five hours on an iPad. And I think at some point we start to realize like, wait a second, like I know I wanted them to be occupied for this amount of time, but now it seems like they can't not be occupied for this amount of time and they're like getting like getting an addiction to it. And I think that's when parents start to worry, uh, hopefully, you know, I think for a lot of parents that don't even notice that stuff, that's unfortunate. And And so for the parents that do notice, it's like, well, so now I've just helped my kid grow addicted to this thing. How do I get them out of that? And it's hard to take that away once you've introduced it. When, and it, once it started as a good thing, it now has turned into a bad thing or, t- or turned into something that is like, oh, I don't know that I want that you know, to be part of their lives in that way. I think it's extra hard, too, because we've talked about this, I think, in the previous episode, especially one of the boundaries one, where it's, you know, it's our job to model. And so what are our boundaries around technology and being on our phones and being on our computers and screens and on the TV, like, do we have any? And that is hard. Um, I know with the new update or whatever with iPhones lately, every like the beginning of every week, it's like, hey, your screen time was up by 5% this week. And actually, it's pretty helpful, I think, because I'm like, oh, I was on my phone for like, on average, five hours a day. That's a lot, but I don't know what a lot is because what are we comparing this to? What's normal? What is not? And so if we just go by ourselves, you know, you can set your own limits, your own boundaries, but it's hard because it's so diverting and it's so entertaining and it just keeps you occupied and it's so addicting. And I don't think we we really are honest with ourselves about the way it influences us and the amount that we use it and what and like how often our kids see us on it. And so they're going to feel very comfortable being on their screens and doing whatever they do all day if they see us doing that. And totally. it's hard to hold ourselves accountable and put our phones down when it's just so entertaining and people expect you to be on call and answer and available. And so it's difficult. I agree for sure that, that like the screen time measurements is really helpful. I like the quote that, uh, what gets measured gets managed. So if you're not measuring it, then you can't manage it. So like even just knowing like, Oh wow, I was on my phone for five hours, you know, on average a day. Like now just knowing that you can figure out, do I want to reduce that or do I want to increase that? Or am am I okay with that? Um, We haven't really talked much about boundaries around our own cell phone usage a lot. We've talked a bit, a bit about that. Do you want to share what, like, what are, what are yours? And I'll kind of talk about mine. And, you know, I don't know that we have a, a shared version between us, much less with our kids. Yeah, because it's new. We've talked about our boundaries Bible, why the Henry and Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Did I still mess up the names? I think that's right. Cloud and Townsend. I, don't, I forget his first name. And because those books are a little bit older, they don't have chapters on technology. And so um, Nedra Tawab actually does. And so when I read, I think her latest book, or that one is on families, but her first boundaries book, there was a whole chapter on it. And we went out to dinner and I was like, hey, can we, can you and I talk about this? Um, I don't think we ever have. And so it was a fun date night to like talk about, I mean, you know, we've been married for 15 years, so it was interesting. And I don't know that a lot of it needed to be said, but I also think 
like you said, if it's not managed, it's not measured, it's not managed. And so I was like, so what are my expectations of you around the way you conduct yourself on social media? And what, what are your expectations of me? And what is okay to you? And what's so not okay to me? And what would make you upset? And what, you know, and so there's, so there's that stuff. And then outside of you and me, there's what our kids see and my own personal boundaries around technology. And so for me, um, when I'm out to dinner, I try to leave my phone in my purse or unless I'm like taking pictures of food or I have like, you know, an emergency with the kids or something, or I'm trying to like figure out how much is in my bank account to like pay the bill. It's pretty much put away. I don't, I'm not, I try not to be available during meals on my phone unless I'm at home reading. And then even then I read a lot. And so my kids will see me on my phone a lot. And it's usually cause I'm reading. And a lot of times I will show them that I'm reading. Um, and other times I tried to just stick to like, hard copy books and so they see me reading instead of being on my phone and so a lot of, especially when they were younger I would tell them what I was doing I would like say it out loud mommy's reading right now or even now when they come and talk to me I will put my phone down the minute they start talking to me I, I look at them eye contact put my phone down and then wait till they'll finish to pick it back up unless I'm doing something like I'm responding to an email that is important I'm like hey let me just finish this email real quick and then tell me what you're doing. And they're like, oh, okay. So I try to be really open about what I am doing. That said, I am not perfect. And there are times I'm just scrolling and I'm very influenced by what I'm scrolling. Like, and I, <laughs> I've noticed lately, especially in the morning or at night when I'm at my most vulnerable is also when I tend to make my most purchases. So as of like the last like month or two, I've put a ban on myself from purchasing anything in the morning or in the night. I It's like, okay, from like 10 to two, I can buy things. But anytime before or after that, I probably should just wait till the next day. I'm probably just being influenced by something. And <laughs> I have to say this, one of my favorite quotes, I don't know where this came from, maybe you remember, is something that like pops up on my feed or I forget what it was. And it's, if it's free, you're the product. Do you remember where that came from? I don't remember. Only because in tech, that is a common saying. So it's like, I don't know what the attribution of that is. I've heard that a lot. But I remember when you first came across it, you were so like enamored by that idea and couldn't stop saying it. It was great. I still say it all the time. Anytime someone's like, hey, would you like this pain? I'm like, I am not the product, sir. I will not accept this freebie because I refuse to be your product. Yeah, I don't I don't remember where, where that came from. But yeah, I mean, that has like made its way. It's almost it's almost a like family family motto at this point, like how much it gets referenced in our house. I, I think one one of the things that's so amazing and tough about technology, specifically when it comes to phones, is that like a phone is a supercomputer in your pocket. Like there are so many great things that you can do with a phone that's not just a phone anymore. Like it's almost disingenuous to call it a phone. Like it's because yes, you can call people, but that is like the least of what people often do, especially millennials, right? right. Like we're often not calling on the phone and instead we are learning, reading, researching, tweeting, uh, scrolling, posting, commenting, liking, but then all sorts of other stuff. Like when you when you think about apps, like you can control drones and planes, you know, and you can play games and you can create things and you can draw and you can record. And so there's so many things that you can do with the phone. And I think I, I love the 
I think we both heard this tip at the same time, which was like, narrate what you're doing with your kids. Like when you're on your phone, because the phone is both a personal and public device at the same time. And so a lot of times you tend to like, you know, it, the, because of the small form factor, it's in your face and other people can't see what you're doing. So you could be doing something super private on it. Like you could be checking your bank account or you could be, you know, looking at things that maybe you shouldn't, you shouldn't be looking at or things that maybe your kids shouldn't be looking at. So you have the ability to be private on it. Or you can be doing public things. And a lot of times for me, I'm doing mostly public things on my phone. And so I like narrating what I'm doing with my kids when, when they come over, like uh, especially when they ask you know, for, for some information. Hey, Dad, when did this battle happen? Or like, what happened in this war? I'll bring them over and say like, oh, let's look it up together. Like we can both use my phone. And I think what I'm trying to model there is that I do public things on my phone and so they can do those things with me. Not everything that I do on my phone, but a lot of things that I do on my phone, they can do it with me and it's not just for for private use. So I'm going to ask you, what are your boundaries around technology? Especially because you are on it all day for work and it's like such a huge part of what you do nine to five or you know whatever your hours are. Yeah, so what are yours? Yeah, so uh, it's tricky because I work my work as a designer and a creative director is to be on screens most of the time. And so I'm on screens a lot, whether that's in front of my computer or in front of my iPad or on my phone. And so the public versus private thing is a really important part of my boundaries around screen usage. I My office doesn't have a door, so anybody can walk in at any point, and my computer screen faces the room. So it's not turned around to the wall, um, and I do that on purpose because I want everyone to be able to see what I'm doing so that they can participate in it, so that they can see what I'm doing. And also, it just models the usage that like I think, and maybe we'll get into this in, in a few minutes, I think what's dangerous about devices, especially for kids, is the fact that you can do very private things. And I mean, we'll, we'll get into the, the specifics of that. And so even me modeling that like, everybody can see what I'm doing on my screen and you can, you can just wheel up to me and learn what I'm doing. That's also the way that I teach interns and apprentices when I had them in my studio, was I always had an open screen and at any point there was an open invitation, just wheel over to my desk if you wanna see what I'm doing and you can do it with me. Um, so I kind of I, I kind of keep that practice. Similar to you, when we're out to dinner or when we're out and when I'm not working, my phone is usually in my pocket. And also similar to you, I do some extra difficult things for the sake of not being addicted to it. So for example, you know, you read on your phone a lot, but you also have hardcover books. And I think some of that is just so that you're not on your phone in front of the kids or, or you know, on your own. Same thing with me. Like I like taking photos and the iPhone is an amazing camera. But I take my DSLR out with me when we're out to eat so that I shoot if I'm shooting photos of food, which I like doing, I do it with my camera. I'm not doing it with my phone, you know, again, to just be like, this is what I'm, I'm taking photos right now. I'm not on my phone and I'm not on my phone all the time. That's hard because similar to me with reading, like I can get the next book in two seconds by just ordering it online and then for you, you take the photos, but then you spend hours editing oh, yeah. on your phone. So it's just so easy and difficult at the same time. One thing you, you started to get there, but this is huge because we just went to our kids' school's safety night where they, internet safety night, where they talk about, they had a detective come and he's like the 
internet part of the internet safety squad or whatever in Jersey. And we both looked at each other in the beginning. And we're like, is this going to be like a doom and gloom situation where everything's going to be like, the internet is awful. And it was close. Yeah, the answer it, is yes. It's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, it totally was. But I, I understand his bias because he sees like the awful stuff, the way kids get groomed online on certain apps and certain games they played. And he sees the worst of it. So of course he's going to come to us and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> protect your kids and you know he did a tiny bit gentler than that but not much and so the biggest thing is social media and apps and so he went into a lot of the different kinds of apps and all the different ones that seem to be the most dangerous for kids where predators will show up and they know how to like groom kids and they have all these like specific ways to do it so he kind of walked us through a lot of stuff which was cool I had no idea that that was even a thing. I was just like, you know, screens are bad. Screens are bad. That's like all I kind of have in my psyche about it. And so one of the things that came up quite a few times in his slideshow was kids do not deserve the right to privacy. And I was like, whoa, that is a statement. That is an opinion or is it a fact? And so I remember eyebrows raised like, what do I think about that? Do I think my kids deserve the right to privacy? And after hearing, you know, someone in a uniform or whatever, like say no, I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. So what do you think about that? Oh boy, that's a big question. So what do I think about uh, whether or not kids have the right to privacy? Um, So first on that, I tweeted about this. We tweeted about this from, from the Great Job account. And there are wildly varying polarized opinions about this. There are some people that are like, absolutely not. Kids do not have any right to privacy. And there are other people who are staunchly like, absolutely, yes, kids have the right. Every human deserves the right to privacy, kids included. Um, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. And I, I don't know that I have a strong point of view on this, but I have a point of view that I think is evolving as our kids grow, as they get older. Let's hear it. I think that all humans deserve the right to privacy, like as a starting point. And I can, to be more specific, I think all adults deserve the right to privacy and have the right to, not deserve, but have the right to privacy. I think that we train our kids to become good adults. I think that's part of our job as parents and as caregivers is like our job is to be good custodians of them and train them to be good adults. So ultimately, do I want my kids to know and to, to know that they have privacy and have, have trained them to know what to do with that right? Like, absolutely. So I want them to experience having privacy as early as possible, as early as developmentally appropriate, and to be able to practice that under the safe conditions of our house and our care so that they know what to do with that and they're trained to do it and they have practice for it so that when they go and live with their own or live with roommates or have a partner or things like that, that they know what to do with that as well in in that scenario. So I think that starts with us. That said, I think that kids have the right to privacy, certainly with their own stuff. And in our house, our kids don't really have their own stuff. Like there's not a lot of stuff that they buy on their own. Right. You know, and I'm going to invoke the cliche of like when you're under my roof, you know, and it is my roof, you know, I pay for the house. They don't pay rent in here. So is it their room? Not really. I'm lending it to them. I'm giving them custody over that. And I think one of the things that's really tough about privacy is that we haven't explicitly said that. You know, I don't think I can't think of a time where we're like, this is my room. You are loaning it. Here are the terms. You know, I'm loaning it to you. Here are the terms of that loan. But I think especially with device usage, with computers and with, with all things, I think we need to have explicit terms with our kids about some of those things, because otherwise, how would they know if they're just assume if we just assume, oh, they're supposed to know that stuff. Like, I, I think that that's not 
that's not us doing a good job if we are just saying like, oh, they should know, they should know. I don't hold that standard for anybody else in my life or anybody that I work with. So I don't hold that standard with my kids. If I have some expectations for them, I think it would be fair to them to state it. And, and to say, here are the things that you are and are not allowed to do with your room or your your uh, iPad or the or video games or these toys or your friends or anything like that. And I think the more we're explicit about that, the more we're sort of designing the, the family experience that we want to have. I think that ties in with our family values and boundaries because um, one of the things um, we went through in that episode was we can't read your mind and we don't expect other people to read our mind. So it really is on us as parents, as owners of the things and the kids to be explicit, to be clear, to set expectations and to give our kids guidelines on things. Because like we said, and you know, like they said in the book, our kids aren't born with structure. They aren't born knowing good versus bad or, you know, we are here to teach them and to show them and to demonstrate and model and all those things. So it is something I think that slips through the cracks because it's like, yeah, that's your room, clean your room. But when they're babies, we clean their room. And so at what point does that start to shift? And so the one thing that came up for me when the detective kept saying kids do not have a right to privacy, my first thought was, well, then well, then how do we build trust with them? How do they learn and experience what trust is? Because I think there are certainly other ways to build trust, but with integrity and like doing what you say you're going to do and things like that. But I was like, I think there's also a privacy element that helps us learn how to trust each other. Because even going a little bit further than that, when it comes to like hormones and body things and kids are starting to explore themselves, one of the things that we've talked to our kids about is like, hey, do it. Explore yourself. Like, it's your body. Just make sure that you do it in the privacy of your own room. And so privacy in that sense is like important. Like, I don't want my kid to explore themselves in front of me. Just being honest here. I, <laughs> I'm like exploring your own. Come to me if you have any questions. Um, and also know that this is something that is, we think as parents, and we're passing this idea down to them, that this is something that is private. Your body is yours. You get to choose like who has access to it and who doesn't, except for, you know, us and doctors, I guess. But I think it, it it's sort of tied into that idea for me. So for me, do kids have a right to privacy? I mean, for the things that they own, which technically right now it's their bodies. They own their own bodies. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah, and I think that we can we can also give them areas to practice that privacy. So like like you were talking about, like we give them the right to have their room be private. We also give them some rules about what are what is allowed in there and not. So we have a rule in our house that's like you're not allowed to have electronics or devices in your room. Right. So, yes, you can do things in your room. You can explore yourself. You can explore books. You can explore your clothes and try things on and things like that. And, you ha and you know, we will not intrude in your room, you know, without knocking. And then also part of the rules of that is you're not allowed to have your iPad in your room. And, and so I think a lot of that is just kind of setting those terms and allowing them to go. This is what safety looks like for you and for us. 
and and then also giving them a chance to practice trust too. So like, you know, it's it's one thing to say like, oh, we want to trust you. But what does that actually look like? And what does that actually mean? I think we have good experiences with our kids in them demonstrating trust to us and then practicing trust, you know, that like, and let, let's put a point on it. The One of the biggest dangers of them having devices is accessing pornography, you know, on the internet. And like, I know there are lots of ethical and moral uh, conversations and discussions around that, you know, for, for adults, for sure. Uh, with kids, it's a it's an extra level because it is straight up illegal, right? So there are there are illegal activities about them owning, sending, accessing photos, view like all of that kind of stuff that is really important that we keep them safe in that. And then on top of that, whatever moral and guidelines we have as a family, you know, on top of as a citizen of of society. And so you know, we have a chance to practice that with our kids. Like we, so one of the rules that we've given them and one of the guidelines that we've given them is we talk to them about sex. We talk to them about bodies. We talk to them about, about pornography. And one of the rules that we have for them is these are things that are on the internet. You might find these sometimes. You might stumble across them when you're researching something for a school project or looking up something for fun. What do you do in that circumstance? If you find something, you shut it off immediately and you come and tell mom and dad. You know, and you won't get in trouble for that. Those are the ways that you can practice trust with us. And they've done that before. They are, they're like, we can't stop them from accessing things that they, they should not be seeing. But integrity and trust, like them coming to us and say, hey, I came across this. It made me feel really weird. You know, I just want to tell you that I, that I saw this. Like we reward that behavior. You know, we, we like praise our kids for like, thank you for doing that. You're not in trouble. You know, thanks for letting me know. What are some things that we can do together to make sure that you don't come across those things in the future? And we work on that stuff together. And to me that like, that makes me trust my kids a lot more knowing that we can have that kind of dialogue. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in your opinion as someone who works in tech and builds platforms and designs user experiences here's my question to you is it the parents job to monitor and maintain and watch their kids and like be on top of their kids with this or is it the tech companies and the internet companies all you know the designers jobs to have integrity and design platforms in a way that keep kids safe. Wow. I, <laughs> maybe I've been preparing to answer this question for the last like decade. I have so many thoughts about this because, you know, like you said, I spend a lot of time. I work in tech. I have worked with all of the social media companies, you know, at, at this point. And I have a lot of opinions about like both based on my own consumption as a user of those things, how my kids interact with them, what it's like to work at those kinds of places. So, you know, to answer your question directly, I think there is shared responsibility for the things that happen, not just on parents and the tech companies. I think both of them bear some responsibility. There's some on the kids as well, you know, developmentally, like based on what they can handle. And I think there's also some with the community, you know, with the community of people, citizens in the world of things that we can lobby for and things that we can sometimes pressure tech companies to do and pressure parents to do and pressure kids to do. Like, so I think every all of those play a role, all four parties, the tech companies, the parents, the kids and the community you know, around, around those things. So let's talk, you know, we, we talked a lot about the parent side of it. And I think we will forever with, with this business, with great job, we will forever be talking about the parents role and responsibility in that. Yes. This is definitely an ongoing discussion and conversation. Cause I'm sure we have a lot more to talk about and to share. Yes, totally. So let's talk about the, the tech company side uh, of that. I like that we talked before about like what gets, what gets measured gets managed. 
And so a lot of times what we have to do to find out why people are doing or designing or the things that they're doing is we follow their incentives. So if, if you work at a tech company, if you work at if you're a designer at Instagram or an, or an engineer at Instagram or at Facebook or at YouTube or things like that, what are your incentives? Well, your incentives are to do a good job because otherwise you won't get fired. Right. So we'll start there. So what does it mean to do a good job if you work at Instagram or if you work at YouTube or Facebook or, you know, or things like that? If you're a designer or an engineer that works at Instagram, your incentive is to do a good job so you don't get fired. Right. So pretty obvious. What does it mean to do a good job if you work at Instagram? Well, generally, you have quarterly objectives that your team has to meet. And a lot of those quarterly objectives come from a product manager or a product director or a VP or something like that. And most of the quarterly incentives that that exist at tech companies like that, for those of you who don't know who are listening, most of them are around usage of the platform or of your particular feature that you work on. So if you're a designer at Instagram, you probably work on a, a specific feature and that could be reels or that could be stories or that could be the feed or that could be you know sharing or liking or, or things like that, commenting. So most people are, are associated with some sort of team like that or a team like something like growth or something like uh, audience reach or influencers or, you know, or something like that. So your incentive is you got to meet those objectives. And a lot of those objectives are around increased usage of the platform. So on average, if you know that the average Instagram user is on Instagram and scrolling for a minute at a time, a lot of your objectives are things like, how can we get them to stay for two minutes at a time? Right. So think about think about things like reels. When reels first came out, you watch a reel and it automatically scrolls to the next one. Why? Because it keeps you on the platform longer. So this is the thing that's really tough about technology, especially when it comes to social media, is a lot of the incentives people get rewarded. The people who work there get rewarded for designing and building things that make you stay on the platform longer. Essentially, things that make you more addicted to it, they get rewarded for making you addicted to it. So in order for that stuff to change, we as a society have to change the incentive structures. We have to make it somehow more enticing for a company to make you stay on the app shorter than to stay on the app longer. Now imagine how much of a difficult thing that is. Like that's a really hard thing to do because what, how do these companies make money? They make money the longer you stay on the platforms because they can show you more ads, they can sell you more products. Right? So to your point that you, that you made before, if it's free, we don't pay for Instagram, right? We don't pay for YouTube. We don't pay for those, you know, other than like premium tools and things like that. But in general, those things are free. And so when they're free, we are the We're product. The product. Right? <laughs> so so because of that, the incentive structures are misaligned to a lot of the ways that we want to protect kids. We want them to be less addicted to these platforms. We want them to stay on it less. We don't want them to be on it because there's a lot of studies out there that kind of show the idea that the more kids are on social media, a lot of behavioral issues stem from that. So if these sort of platforms have all these different areas of expertise per designer, per whatever, do they have like a safety section also of people working on keeping that platform safe for users and for the people who sell on it and all those kinds of things? Or is it just that we rely on our state police to monitor internet safety? So I know a lot of those companies will have training. You know, they'll have training on things like accessibility, right? So how to design for people who have disabilities or things like that. They have training on safety, they, right? Now, how often do they have training? I don't know. For some teams, is it once a year? And is that enough? For other teams, is it once once every couple of years? Is that enough? For other teams, is it once a quarter? So I think that's part of it. The other thing that I think is, you know, I have, I, I kind of soapbox around 
is that a, a lot of tech companies will have, for example, they'll have a team that's dedicated to DEI, diversity and equity and inclusion, right? Which is like, cool, like companies are, are uh, that's becoming more important to them. But now by having a team that's related to DE, DEI, does that mean that everyone's job, everybody else's job is to not worry about DEI? Because, oh, because we have a team related to that. So same thing when it comes to internet safety. They have a team dedicated to internet safety. Uh, they have a team dedicated or a person who's like, you know, the chief experience officer of internet safety or kids safety or something like that. So does that effectively absolve everyone else from having to worry about it because it's somebody else's job? And right, I guess if we took that further, if they worried about it and all the platforms were safe, us as parents could also not worry about safety. That's right. Because like, oh, yeah, Instagram has a team that's dedicated to that. So I don't have to worry about it because, you know, I can I just trust the platform that that happens? And clearly, at least, you know, we find out in our in our detective briefing, clearly we can't just trust Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. Now, the other side of that, that like, and you know, from sitting next to me at this detective uh, presentation is that what I don't appreciate about those kinds of things is that the detective, and again, for good reason, but he paints Instagram and YouTube and all these platforms that, oh, they're evil. And it's like, well, that's not quite right either because there are real people that work there that have incentives just like everybody else too. So it's not that, oh, Big Corp is evil and we need to take down the man. And it's also not that like, oh, they're doing everything right and like you know, we can just trust them to kind of take care of our kids. So it's somewhere in the middle of those things where I think that we need to each do our part. The tech companies need to do their part to design these into their experiences. The parents need to do their part to request features, to use those features, things like being able to block certain kinds of content content like those things exist they're hard to find right so it's on the designers to make those things easier to find it's on the parents to use those things and maybe request some other things too so i think the onus kind of falls on all of us to be able to do a better job for our kids in all of this yeah i feel like that's such a theme of parenting where it's like you know even going to like parent teacher conference it's like well is it the kids behavior at school is it the teacher's fault that they're and like the teacher isn't like keeping their attention or is it like oh it's the parents stuff because we don't monitor or facilitate our kid learning how to sit and pay attention or I don't know. So I just feel like that's something as a parent, like we are constantly having to navigate and find solutions for. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, this, I think this is the fuller meaning. I'm not about fuller, but this is a, a different meaning of like it takes a village because it's not just one party's responsibility. It's like we all have to work together to be able to do things like this. There's a concept in tech called inclusive design. And the point of inclusive design or the, the idea of inclusive design is for the people who are designing products or designing features for users, that they invite those users into the design process. It's not just when they're done, you know, when we're done making it, well, then we'll have, we'll test it with them. It's that like, if you're designing a product that is designed for parents and kids to use it, we'll invite parents and kids into those sessions while you're designing it for them to give you feedback and not just feedback, but input and their ideas and things like that. Not a lot of companies practice inclusive design in that way. And so, you know, we need to be part of those processes to be able to influence a lot of the features that are influencing us, right? It's this kind of cyclical nature that it becomes a virtuous cycle when you include people that you're designing for in that. And unfortunately, a lot of teams don't make the time or the budget or they don't make that important. Yeah, that would be amazing because as a mom who doesn't know a lot about this stuff right now, thank you for sharing all this. I remember the only way 
or the only information I get about whether a platform is okay or not is if like the majority of kids in our area or moms or dads in our area, in our community are allowing their kids to be on it. And so I'm like, oh, well, if other kids are on it, then it must be safe, right? And so for example, there was that Facebook kids thing for kids to like communicate. And I remember going to you and be like, oh, some of Sita's friends from her old school want to like contact her on it. And you were like, absolutely not. And I was like, what's, what's the big deal? And you were like, there is no way that they can keep this safe for kids. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Other parents are using it. What like... I still don't understand. And so you explained some stuff to me. I didn't get it. So, you know, some of our philosophies, whoever wants it more does the work. And so Dan was like, I feel strongly strongly. about this. It's going to be a no. I was like, all right, I don't, I don't feel strongly about it. I would like to understand more, but I can't or don't or whatever. So fine. We don't need to use it. And then we go to this detective school night thing. And he was like that Facebook, whatever it is for kids is like one of the biggest ways pedophiles and people not great people groom kids it's like they don't have the right stuff in place to keep kids safe on that platform do not let your kids on that platform and we were like oh i was like okay dan okay i think the same thing is true for roblox and minecraft and you know anything where a kid can interact with someone else and i think a lot of it is because the kids don't inherently have the skills to know what to do when they interact with someone digitally right so i think that the the brain doesn't know the difference between a social, a digital interaction and a real life interaction. So your brain interprets it as the same thing, but we don't have practice on those skills. So I think, you know, to me, what is the best way to prevent our kids from doing that is to work with our kids. Not, not necessarily, not just to work with, you know, we got to lobby Roblox or lobby Minecraft. I mean, yes, that stuff too. You know, I think that stuff is important, but I think the more we can practice this with our kids, I think the more they understand and get the muscle memory to be able to identify things like that might not be a safe interaction for me. Or that's not a place that I should I should really go. Um, so I th- and I think that that starts slowly. I think what a lot of parents will do, you know, myself included, is like you see something that seems safe enough and you just go have at it. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. You can work. You can use that app or you can use that thing without us actually ever using it, using it with them. And I think that's why the idea of shared public device usage like let's do this together let's look this thing up together let's play this together let's you know i think that is very time consuming for parents you know that it's like just another thing to do i think that actually has a lot of impact and a lot of benefit yeah especially when we're using devices as a way of kind of everyone tuning out or checking out or doing their own thing and so i have i do have another question for you what are some of in your opinion like the pros of technology right now because i think you know, every generation has its like, oh, rap is bad and oh, too much television is like ruining our kids' brains. And so now I think we're in a generation with social media. And so there's not a lot of research done out there yet. And there there are, in fact, a ton of studies on how now it's coming out that like the earlier the kids are exposed to social media, the worse it is developmentally, emotionally and all kinds of things. And they're seeing, you know, the sooner kids have access to it, like the more likely they are to have an increase in depression and anxiety and emotional behavior issues and things like that. And so it's easy, I think, for all of us to jump and be like, yeah, it's social media is doing it and they're being on their screens too much. And we do see the side effects of it. If our kids are on screens all day and then they get off, they're like obnoxious, they're whiny, they're 
bratty. And I, I mean, I probably am too. Yeah. Or, or we're zombies. Yeah. <laughs> like it's one or the other. Yeah. So what do you think are some of the pros? Uh, a lot. So like I, I'm an optimist about this, even though we just kind of talked about a, a doom and gloom, you know, scenario, which a lot of it is. And unfortunately it is because lots of bad things happen. I work in tech. I love working in tech, you know, and, and I, it's because I believe in the power of it. I, I remember hearing somewhere that like the, the Apollo 11, which was the, the space shuttle that landed people on the moon initially. I think the iPhone, I, iPhone 6 or something like that had something like a thousand times the computing power that Apollo 11 did. Right, so like in your pocket, you have a thousand times processing power than a thing that landed people on the moon 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Like that's amazing. That's incredible. That's like so cool. The access that it gives us and the ability to learn. I think you know, another thing that I've, I've heard uh, lately is I think like compared to 100 years ago, the average person processes in a day what a person 100 years ago would process in their lifetime. Right. So like just our access to information allows us to do so many cool things, you know, like the like our kids can grow up to be. I mean, really, I know every generation said this, but like really our kids can grow up to be whatever they want. They want to be an engineer. They can learn how to do it right now by taking courses online, by watching YouTube videos, by, you know, learning from other people doing it. Like there's just so much access. And there's, you know, I think it's no coincidence that there are lots of companies that their mission over the last 10 years is like, you know, for example, Khan Academy is one that I admire. Their mission is free world-class education for anyone. Like, whereas, you know, years ago, that was never possible. You'd have to pay a lot of money to go learn from specific people at a higher ed institution. And that was it. Whereas Khan Academy is like, we're going to, want to teach everybody in the world math. Or, you know, I know I remember working with and Khan Academy was a client, a client of ours. And uh, reading as fundamental was an old client, too. And I remember the idea that, like, if a kid has access to a book, right, there are some kids who don't have access to books. If they have access to one book, it drastically changes their lives. Like it changes the trajectory of their life. So now you don't have access to one book, one book. You have access to every book in the history of the world, potentially, by having a phone or having a computer or a laptop or something like that. So I think there's so many things that it enables and it empowers. I think the way that I think about it is it's like, would you give your kid access to a power tool? And the answer is like, well, depending on their age, absolutely not. Depending on their age, maybe with some training. And it's like, I think that's the way to look at a phone is like, it's a power tool. If you don't know how to use it well, you will, you will saw your hand off. If you do know how to use it well, it's incredibly powerful. You can build really cool things with it. So I, I kind of think about it like that. And like, how do you learn how to use a power tool? Well, you might take some lessons or someone might show you something. You might read the manual, like some com you might build something with someone who like shows you, okay, this, you have to wear goggles and you have to wear gloves and this is how you operate this thing. And you know, this is how you operate it safely. So I think we don't take that approach to phones because it's like, it's just a phone. But I think if we, if we treated it more like a power tool, same thing with social media. Instagram is an incredibly powerful platform. You have access to people who are doing world-changing things. You could send them a DM. Like, like, and I think that's really a really cool thing about it. But we don't get training on how to do it. And there's no manual for like how to use Instagram. And I think, you know, the, you know spoiler alert, I, that's the kind of stuff that we're working on. It's like, I don't know, should somebody write a manual on like how, to, how a kid should use Instagram? Like, you know, I'm sure there are a few things out there, but not enough because um, I know a lot of parents don't know about that kind of stuff. So I think those are the kinds of things that we want to invest in. And I think just looking at those kinds of tools in that way and not just being like, ah, it's a phone or like, ah, it's just an app, but it's a power tool. And, you know, let's treat it appropriately. So based on all that, what would you say to a parent who's listening, who's like, you know, it's the holiday season, 
their kids are like ours, 12, and they're getting to that age where it's like, should I buy them a cell phone for Christmas or a smartwatch or any sort of device or should I get them social media stuff? What would you say to a parent like that who's um, debating? Define the terms beforehand. A couple of things. One is define the terms beforehand because what happens with parents and certainly like I'm speaking from experience here is you set no terms, no rules on how to use a thing and the kid uses a thing and then you yell at them for something that they shouldn't have done with it. And it's like, well, you gaslighting the kid. Like, how do they know that? <laughs> There's, they can't read our minds, you know, and it's because we just realize it at that point. But we have this responsibility that we set the rules. And so all of a sudden there's a real time rule that gets inserted in here. So as much as possible, define the terms beforehand. Like you want to get your kid a phone, get your kid a phone. What are the rules of that phone? Like what is, what's the agreement that if they violate this agreement, you're going to take the phone away or you're going to limit phone usage or, or things like that. So, and, and talk to your kid about that. Hopefully your kid is at an age that if you're giving them a phone, they're also able to understand the terms of, of getting a phone or any particular thing that you get them, iPad, an Instagram account, an email address, you know, whatever those things are. You are allowed to do these things. You are not allowed to do these things. Um, and I think a lot of that is they earn privacy with that. They don't get it at first. So yes, I'm going to be checking your email with you for the first six months or six weeks or whatever. And I think that's the other, the second thing that I'll, I'll say here is like, do the thing with your kid. So if you if you're getting them a video game, play the video game with your kid. If you're getting them a phone, use the phone with the kid. Show them how to use the phone. Like know what apps are on there are on there. And I'm speaking to myself here because even as I say this, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I know all the apps that are on the iPad. So yes, let's every 12 weeks we're going to do an audit of the apps on your phone, and we're going to do that to make sure you're safe. And also we're going to wipe out some apps so that your iPad actually runs faster, right? So like it can be beneficial for the kid. It, it's not just censoring them. It's about earning that trust with you and you earning that trust with them as well that you can work together on, on all that. You know, something that just occurred to me while you were talking was like, this is how my parents treated us when we were learning to drive. And so with our kids at this age, the pivotal age, they're not learning to drive yet, but this is a good like stepping stone just in our practice as parents of like increasing their ability to be independent and to have responsibility and to have integrity. And so I was thinking like, this is like driving because even like the state governs it. I don't know. It's not a governmental thing, but it's a state thing where, you know, you have to learn, you have to take a test, you have to learn the rules of the road. And if you don't abide by them, you could get your license taken away and you won't be able to drive anymore. And, and you have to like log a certain amount of hours with an adult who can, who has their license, who can like be with you as you learn. It's like a slow, gradual process to you being able to be on your own. And even then when you're on your own, your parents are still like, okay, well, who's paying for the gas and where are you going and when are you coming home? And like, there's a lot around. It's so funny how we totally see that normal. We see that as like a part of life, a part of growing up. But like, do we do that with cell phones yet? No. And I wonder if we framed it that same way as like, all right, if we can do that with our kids' phones, then they're going to be set up by the time they're ready to drive and be out on their own because they're already going to understand that there are certain ways that they get to gradually be introduced and developmentally be introduced to things in a way that's safe for them because no, I'm not going to let my 12 year old drive my car. Will I let my 16 year old? Yes. If she has read the handbook, if she has taken right. the test, if she has logged the hours, absolutely. She could go do that, you know, 
But like instead we're just dropping this huge same thing, this power tool, which is what a car is. It's dangerous and, you know, it could hurt people. We're just dropping this in their lap and being like, we love you. Good luck. Yeah. We're great parents. Merry Christmas. (laughs) So, yeah, I think I'm glad you said that because now I'm thinking about it like that out loud. There's so much to talk about when it comes to this kind of stuff because it's uncharted territory for parents and for kids. And so, you know, certainly we will have more conversations about this. And, you know, we're working on tools and templates and all sorts of stuff that we can implement in our family um, that that make a difference. And if they do, you know, those are things that we want to be able to share with other people so that they can use them. We also want to hear from from all of you, too, that if you have things that you've done, habits, tools, uh, ways to practice with your kid about technology usage or, or social media usage or things like that that you found to work in keeping them safe, giving them access to something really powerful and like, you know, splitting the difference and, and making good from all that. We want to hear that too. So please do send us your notes about, uh, about that as well. We want to hear and so that we can learn from it too. As we wrap up this season of the Great Job Podcast, do you want to share anything that you really enjoyed the most over the season? Yeah. I mean, one, I just like, we definitely did this podcast because we want to share a lot of the things that we learned with the people who can learn from them and want to listen to them and things like that. I also, though, I don't think this was on purpose, at least not for me, but like just having dedicated time to talk about things with you about our family. Like this is like a forcing function for us to go like, what is our vision for our family? And what do we want our boundaries to be? And what, you know, how do we want our kids to operate with technology? And like all of that stuff, like just by talking about it, we have to talk about it and we have to, to think about it. And so I really enjoyed that, like the topics that we had covered and just being able to even like workshop that in public uh, with you. Yeah, I've actually enjoyed that too. I was going to say, I think that's part of my favorite. I mean, and also my favorite episodes of the season were just talking about boundaries because it's something I want to talk about all day (laughs) and I will continue to because it's still so unique to me and difficult and exciting and empowering. So that, that was part of my favorite. But as we think about next season, um, to all of you listening, if there's something that you would like to hear more of or any sort of topics you want us to grapple with and hash out or fight about, <laughs> let us know. Send us a message, sign up for our newsletter, and we're going to be really excited about like all the stuff coming next season. And also, we're, we're still working out the format, too. So like probably guests maybe next season Ooh, yeah probably you know who, who knows what else so you know a lot of this this season was just us kind of talking about things that are important to us and things that we've learned but next season might have a different format to it too so still figuring that's that stuff out and uh always open to hearing feedback about that yeah and we want you guys to come along on the journey because we're all in this together we're all trying to do our best and we're all doing a great job we're doing a great job we'll see you next season bye y'all Thank you so much for joining us. If you love this content, please download the episode, subscribe to the podcast and share with anyone in your life who wants to be more intentional about raising amazing kids. If you want more from us, please join our email list at greatjob.kids newsletter to get more parenting strategies, tips, tools, and templates directly to your inbox. You can also find Great Job on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. You're doing a great job.